following program are pre-recorded. Talk of the Town on Super Talk 1270. Super Talk 1270, it is time to check in with our friends over at the Bismarck Bobcats. Tom Briggle, owner of the Bobcats. And wow, what a series last weekend as we are starting to make that stretch run towards the playoffs. Tom, uh, kind of kind of an exciting last weekend against uh, Minot. Yeah, the games were just absolutely terrific. You know, we were uh, we were a bit embarrassed, uh, and it was kind of fluky around Christmas where they took, I think, five out of six points against us. And you remember the weather, the boys barely got off the plane. And so we were, you know, we were kind of shooting for bear on Friday, and we went up to uh, Minot. And I think that, uh, honestly, I don't think there was any way they were going to beat us because we were so hungry. Uh, and uh, and that combined with you know the the new players, we felt pretty confident. We we went up there and uh, we took it to them right away. They did come back later, but we we uh, we beat them three to nothing. And Stephen Peck had another great game in the net, and, and he's uh, just been playing so well. And uh, then on Saturday, they were in our barn, and you know we had standing room only crowd. It was just an unbelievable loud crowd, and. You know, so many of us talked after the game. Uh, Lane and had said a bunch of people came up to him, uh, talking to others, and they said it was amazing because it was uh, a one nothing game through three and a half periods, and then we scored a shorty. But it was such like a playoff game. It was so exciting that um, the fans were just in it. But the whole game it was loud, and not a, not a soul left. And you know, unfortunately, we lost in overtime. Um, but, you know, it was a terrific game. We got three points on the weekend. And, uh, you know, we'll take that and, and move on to the next. But, um, boy, was it good hockey season. It's just wonderful. Tell you what, how good is it right now that uh, you're into playoff quality hockey? Usually uh, a team that's playing playoff hockey down a stretch run means they're way upside down and trying to make a run to get into the playoffs. Uh, you guys, uh, pretty good grasp on, on the playoff situation, but you're playing playoff hockey. You, th- that level is right there right now. What does that mean to a team that, uh, has got some time before we get to the playoffs? Uh, and, I mean, there's a, uh, is there a concern that you may be peaking too soon or with the new players? Is it just, uh, the expectations are elevated a little bit because the fans are behind you. You've got the, what seems like the pieces. What, what's the mindset right now in playing this level of hockey heading towards the playoffs when you, you're mm-hmm. pretty confident that you're going to be there? Yeah. I think that, uh, I think that we're not worried about the boys, uh, peaking soon or anything like that. Uh, I think since November, we probably have six or seven new players. So you know, it's kind of rejuvenated really in a way, even with the three, three, uh, most recent ads having only been there for a couple of weeks. So. I think that uh, they're still learning how to play the game in terms of the lines and lane is still learning, you know, what lines combinations are most effective and how do you take these pieces. And so, so I think there's enough learning going on that certainly we're not going to get stale. Uh, our uh, <laughs> last two years have been, have been playoffs, like I said, because just been out of desperation. We've been playing playoff hockey. Uh, so we're kind of used to that. Um, now we're sitting in second place, and you know we're gunning for that top seed. And you know we're six points behind Minot. We've got five games against them, and um, 
you know, if there's a chance, perhaps to uh, to test them, which you're going to try. Um, but really, the story to home ice is going to go through Aberdeen. We play those guys uh, eight more times. We haven't seen them too much, only four times, and you know, they're in third place behind us. So if we can put some distance between us and them uh, and get home ice for the playoffs, you know, I think the fans would love that, and we'd love that, and, and the boys, of course. So um, um, I think, actually, we're not playing uh, – I think we're get, just getting started, if that makes sense. And I, I think that um, we're going to start to even gel further. And, and we really like our team. So one of the things, it, walk me through this, because now um, with the new additions to the team, and you got your roster set for the playoffs, um, you know, you do have all those games against Aberdeen, and Aberdeen has a little bit of a reputation of being a little chippy. Um, is this one of those cases where it's like you can't worry about that if you do? Because athletes, they'll, they'll say this all the time. If you worry about getting hurt, that's when you get hurt. Uh, you just have to go out and play your game. It, it, how much of the injury, injury staying healthy, mm-hmm. um, all of that comes into play down this home stretch? Well, this is going to be a shocking revelation to you. I have no idea. I'm not nearly <laughs> as athletic as I look. <laughs> and I don't look very athletic. Um, you know, I, I don't know. We've we've always heard over time and we have to if you start thinking about like you just said, start thinking about being injured and, and not playing this hard or not delivering the hits and absorbing them then you know the greater risk of inner injury. But we're just gonna go out and play hard and we're a very deep team, you know. I think there'll probably be some dings here and there. There always are. It's you know, junior hockey in the NA and um, but I think we're prepared for that, and hopefully none of the boys get hurt in a manner that, uh, you know, we wouldn't like for them, of course, right? Well, that's the other um, side of I that. Think, uh, injuries will come into play probably, and and um, we're just going to play through them the best we can. That's the other side of that, Tom. And, and when you hear about championship teams or teams making runs in playoffs, it, at the end of a long season, it comes down to health. Uh, one of the things I'm looking at the roster with the additions, and, and after the break, I want to talk about some of those additions. But after uh, these additions to the team, the depth situation, I, I mean, not to, to wish any ill will on anybody, but if there were an injury or uh, somebody gets a little dinged up, it looks like you've got the depth to be able to absorb that where in past years, maybe that wasn't the case. Yeah, I think so. I, I think, you know, as, as we've been discussing the last few weeks, we're all in. And so um, Lane has very difficult decisions to make every night because every boy wants to play every night. Of course, we've got a roster of 24, but only uh, 21 can dress. And so it creates, um, you know, that combination of a healthy competition uh, because those boys want to play uh, for sure. Uh, but in addition to that, um, if we were to, to, you know, have a boy go down and get dinged up a little bit, um, certainly there's someone next man up that can do the job because um, we really like our depth. There's no player on our team that uh, isn't really a good player, and so that's very helpful. Like I said, it makes it a little harder for Lane, but I think the boys get it. They they know the importance of winning for. But also for their own career, more exposure they get, the more we win, right? We're talking with Tom Briggle, um, owner of the Bismarck Bobcats. 
Uh, we're talking with Tom Briggle, owner of the Bismarck Bobcats. Tom, we're up against a break. When we come back, I want to talk about some of those players, okay. some of those additions, and some of that depth that the Bobcats seem to have making this playoff run. This is Talk of the Town on Super Talk 1270, the home of the Bismarck Bobcats. Two on the road this weekend at Aberdeen, and you can catch all the action right here on Super Talk 1270. One Super Talk. Talk of the Town on Super Talk 1270. Super Talk 1270, you're tuned to Talk of the Town. I'm Steve Bach, along with Tom Briggle, owner of the Bismarck Bobcats. Of course, Super Talk 1270, the home of the Bobcats, each and every weekend right here on Super Talk 1270. They're on the road to Aberdeen this weekend. Uh, two games, Friday and Saturday night. You can catch all the action right here on Super Talk 1270. Now, I want to talk a little bit about that depth and uh, the new additions, the new players, and then we have an announcement to make, um, some big news. We'll talk about that at the end of the segment, but uh, there has been some... Uh, pretty good additions to the team and from what i'm seeing wow they they stepped right in and and you've got some talent on the ice late additions what are you seeing as the owner and what what is lane seeing as the coach uh with some of those new pieces that are on the ice yeah well looking in uh, hunter Bismarck with nico capitanovic and as we've been talking for the course of the year <laughs> we felt like we had a really good team going in um, but it comes down to, you know, just like the NHL, you need to kind of have the right pieces. So, you know, more, most recently, the most recent three ads have been, uh, you know, Jake Peterson, he was Springfield's captain, and he, he, he had a chance to watch him this weekend. It was his first home weekend, and, uh, oh, by the way, he says his fans are nuts, which is always fun. Um, but he's really smooth, and so he's a terrific defenseman. He's a power play defenseman. Uh, adds to uh, really a pretty steady core defenseman that can handle on the point. Uh, so he's been really good. And then um, Matt, and I'll pronounce his name wrong because he's from Canada, so let's go with Matt. Uh, but in any event, he's a, he's a big strapping lad, uh, but also a captain at Corpus Christi, and he was also a power play guy. So he's on the power play, you know, as well. And, um, you know, he brings that strength. Uh, Peterson brings... Uh, He's a 200-foot player, um, but really smooth offensively and defensively. He just makes it look so easy. Uh, and then the third piece that we've been talking about is Alexander Kim. And uh, he might be uh, as good an all-around hockey player as he's played in Bismarck really in quite some time. He's a 200-foot guy, tremendously skilled, sees the ice um, you know, beautifully in terms of passes and and uh, really adjusted. Remember, we were talking about the adjustment to an NHL ring from an Olympic sheet. Um, but he's found the time, he's found the space, and he's a little bit physical too. So we were concerned about that. Um, but no, he's uh, he gets his nose in there. He's not afraid to get his nose dirty and and plays hard. So those three pieces have really shored up an already really good team, and that's why um, you know we like our team. And you know, it's up to them. What opportunity they make of it, but you know we think we get a chance to get out of the division. We think we're a pretty good club. Well, like you said, uh, and you've said on the program multiple times, you guys are all in. Uh, this yeah. is the year, so uh, all the chips are in the middle of the table. Um, one of the things I want to talk about is the flexibility in the lineups, too, because, you know, we started out at the beginning of the year talking about locker room and uh, the luxury you guys had of all those former captains and and 
players that have been with the team a long time, uh, really kind of managing a locker room that uh, it's just as important having a good locker room as it is having good cohesiveness on the ice. You've got that. You've you've got these pieces. So being able to bring players in when you've got that locker room uh, lined out the way Lane does, that's got to be a big addition as well. Yeah, it is, it is for sure. And uh, so going back to the beginning where you talk about Patty Johnson and his cohorts, um, Deeks and Roloffs and go all the way down, you know, we've got five returning uh, captains. But um, in addition to that, an already good locker room. Then you start adding some uh, other teams' captains, really. And the fact of the matter is almost everyone in our locker room has been a captain at some point in their you know, youth hockey career, high school. So they're all quality kids. They're just, besides being damned with hockey players, just really fine kids. And so, you know, that locker room is very important in the cohesiveness. Um, and we seem to have that. Like I said, there's a, particularly with the introduction of new players that are really good, there's always um, an introduction or introduction of healthy competition. And, you know, you got to fight to get in the lineup. And, um, you know, that can be healthy. And then, you know, long term, uh, you know, I think they're really set on the goal when the Robertson Cup and uh, our leadership's terrific. Our additions have been really good. The fans have been unbelievable. Um, Lane and Hunter are doing a good job. Our, our scout, like, it's just, um, it's come together pretty well. And so we're confident. We don't know. Are we going to get there? We don't know. Um, but we think we got a good shot and stay healthy. So, um, yeah, everything's, everything's good in Bismarck. Bismarck Podcast, uh, everything's good, so we're excited. And now we'll run down to Aberdeen and, and, uh, and see them for a while. So from a fan perspective, and, and the fans are great to begin with, but there's a little something extra, it seems like, this year. Um, they can sense it. They can sense what's on the ice. They can sense that this Bobcat team might be a little special. Yeah. You know, if you um, if a fan comes to the game and if they you know, if they come for the beer, that's one thing. But this year, um, I think a lot of them are there for the hockey. I don't know they like a beer too, but they're there for the hockey. I mean, if you start, if you look well, up and down our lineup and watch these kids play, like like a Kyle Dahl, you know, he's a really good hockey player. And at times right now he's playing fourth line. But look at like uh, last weekend. So I think it was in November we picked up uh, Tomas Toth. And um, he's one of my favorite players. And, and the reason for that is, he plays uh, both ways really hard, and he's a, a skilled player. Um, but boy, he, he gets his way around. And in fact, he's the he's the lad that scored the uh, shorty. Like he kills penalties, and he scored the shorthand goal to tie up against Minot. And um, <laughs> he's from Hungary, so I think you and I might have been talking. He's had an interesting couple of weeks. You, you go down to North Iowa, get no sleep. You go to the top prospects. You no sleep. You come back. You run up to Minot. You get home at one thirty. You play the next day, and on Sunday morning, it was on a plane to um, Dominican Republic to renew his visa. Um, got pulled over or pulled aside last night by uh, um, whatever they're called, international security or whatever, at the airport. Got home about twelve thirty. Jump on a bus tomorrow. And, um, living the dream of junior hockey. But Thomas <laughs> Holt is a, another. Just a great hockey player, and, and you know we think he's a D one player. He just needs uh, a look. I think we got a couple three that 
still that might commit. We're up to 12, well, 13, right? Well, you, we're up you, to 13 today. That's a great segue because uh, you mentioned D1, and uh, you do have another D1 player who just committed. Yeah, so the fans have really come to love uh, really both our goalies. But, you know, Stephen Peck has been committed to Michigan since he came. But um, Clayton Knapp, uh, who this is his first year as a Bobcat, and he's one of those boys kind of like Hunter Shepard. He's had an interesting uh, uh, and drawn-out track. He actually started at the Austin Bruins, probably might be four years ago now. I think he was with them for a year and a half, and then he went and played in uh, – Green Bay. Um, last year he broke his leg, and uh, I think he only played three or four games. And then, you know, our guys took a shot on him and knew he was a, a really good goalie, and they took a shot with him. And, you know, the fans, he's a fan favorite for sure, and uh, they've come to love him. So uh, he went to top prospects also and had a shutout. Yeah, not that that was just that game, but. You know, colleges have been following all year long. Well, lo and behold, he had a Zoom call with, uh, well, actually last week on on Saturday, um, the University of Minnesota, Duluth was in the barn, and uh, their goalie coach, that is, and he came and watched the game just to kind of um, put a final icing on the cake and take one last look at Clayton. And, um, Long story short, Clayton signed a uh, congratulations to him, a letter of intent to be uh, a goalie, a goalie at the University of Minnesota Duluth Bulldogs. And it's a perfect home for him because uh, the Bulldogs have a world-class goalie right now. He's a sophomore and within the year to probably go to the NHL, uh, which is a great opportunity for Clayton and, and it shows a lot of confidence that they have in and bringing them in to compete for the number two, and then you know along the way uh, maybe you'll be like Hunter Shepard and be a bulldog and win a national championship. And hey, now, 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 slow, slow down right. here, Tom. I, I want to see him do well, but not at the expense of my fighting Sue. Uh, what's that? I, I want to see him do well, but not at the expense of my fighting Sue. Oh, who are they? This is the deal. Could you kind of run into that, right? Um, because I want my Bobcats to do great, but I'm a fighting through at heart. <laughs> so, so I, I so get it. Maybe I think there's ties. There's ties in uh, college hockey, so let's go with that. Okay, but, we'll, uh, we'll we'll let that one slide. Tom, uh, it's going to yeah. be a great weekend. Uh, best of luck this weekend in yeah. Aberdeen. Of course, you can catch all the action right here on Superdoc 1270. If you haven't downloaded the app, do so, and uh, you can follow all things Bobcats, BismarckBobcats.com. Tom, best of luck this weekend. Hey, thanks. We're excited to, to take it in, to some pheasants down in Aberdeen, that's for sure. Oh, there you go. Uh, best of luck, uh, of course, all the games. You can catch them right here, the Bismarck Bobcats on Supertalk 1270. Talk of the town, Bakken, weekday morning starting at 9 on Super Talk 1270 and the free Super Talk 1270 mobile app. Welcome back to Talk of the Town on Super Talk 1270. Super Talk 1270, you're tuned to Talk of the Town. I'm Steve Bakken and a really cool event coming up in the very near future, Medieval Rush. And on the phone with us, Tanner from Medieval Rush. Tanner, you've been doing this for a, a long time now. This is uh, not a new thing in the Bismarck Mandan area. This has been going on for quite a while. Yes, it has. Thanks, Steve. Good to talk to you. 
been around for 13 years now. Can you believe it? I wow. Know, we're, we're calling it the Baker's Dozen this year. So uh, very, very fun event that's been going on. Very proud of it as well. Uh, it's a family-friendly event. Uh, my kids have been running it for the past eight years. Savannah's been doing it, and my son, Rhett's been doing it the last couple of years. Uh, yeah, so we're super excited. We're four years now at the Bismarck State College Community Bowl. It's a beautiful venue. It's a, it's a great setup for us. It's well, I was going to bring that up. People to get to, easier for parking. People can come in and just uh, relax. They can sit in the bleachers if they want and watch the action that goes on on the actual turf. Kind of the main gathering area is down in the southwest corner where the locker rooms are. And uh, that's where our main highlighted obstacle, the warped wall. Everybody can watch uh, the kids go through it as well as the adults. And then we always have music down there playing. And then we have uh, food venues as well down there. And it's just it's a great atmosphere because you can basically walk around the bowl and uh check out all the obstacles we have over 30 obstacles for the adults and we have about 20 obstacles for the kids the kids course really has taken off we started it nine years ago just because my kids were wanting to do it and we thought it would be a great idea and now it's really really grown we actually push it to, to be as big as possible so we totally encourage your kids it's a great confidence builder the kids come out and they just have a blast Parents are allowed to walk throughout the course as well and get close-up photographs of their children going through the mud pits, going through obstacles, and just the sense of accomplishment that the kids get is just awesome. It's well, really awesome. Tanner, I want to back up a little bit because uh, you mentioned four years at the new venue at the, around the Community Bowl. And uh, previous to that, um, you guys got your start. Because I remember the first one, uh, you started out at uh, the Missouri Valley Complex. And yep, kind of yep. a small event, it, and I remember uh, the mud pit was probably my favorite that year. Um, but a little bit smaller event. And did you have any idea that it would grow into what it is today? Because now it's a, a huge community event, and and like you said, nine years ago you started the kids side of this, which was really a big addition. Now you're talking about the ability for the entire family to participate. Exactly. That's exactly right. We had a we had people bring their grandparents. We actually had a 71 year old grandma running it uh, two years ago, and she went through every obstacle. They took her time. That's the other thing we want to make clear to people. A lot of people who have never done it, they get the run. They get the run through off train. It's not really a run. You don't run more than I think the longest stretch is maybe a quarter mile without an obstacle. And a lot of people walk. They jog. A lot of people. Some people will choose to run hard. You know, you, it's as hard as you make it, basically. But it's more so fun. You know, I think people think, some people hear medieval, you know, and, they, and they're just like, oh, my gosh. But, no, it's actually, that's just a catchy name. But, yes, it's grown so much. And the kids' course is just, like I said, to see the looks on the kids' faces after they accomplish going over a wall. You know, the walls aren't too terribly big. You know, we have about a couple four-foot, five-foot walls they climb over. We have volunteers at every station. The warped wall, it's kind of like American Ninja Warrior. We have volunteers on top helping the children up if they want to try one of the harder. There's three levels. There's an there's a easier level, the awesome level, then there's a crazy level, and then a medieval level. And usually we get about three, two or three adults that get the medieval. Quite a few people get the crazy, and then pretty much anybody can make it up, the lowest one. So 
it's 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 not it, it is competition. There is a chance to win money. We give money to the top male and female adults. The kids' course, they're there for the experience and just to have fun. And like I said, it's it's been growing. It's really been growing, and and now I'm really pushing the kids' course. I want to get I want to get 500 kids there. And, and have them rush through. It's just an awesome, awesome experience. One of the uh, the things I take away is you mentioned the medieval side of it. It's the rush side. It's called medieval rush, but you don't have to be in a rush. And uh, for somebody, depending on your age or fitness ability, um, you don't have to rush. So it is a little something for everybody, a great team-building activity, great for the office, great for a bunch of friends to get together, uh, significant others. Uh, there's a... It's got a level for everybody, and I, I really like that component of it. Absolutely. So if you want to just be a spectator, we totally recommend that you you partake in it. But if you don't, it's only $10, and you're going to get a great, great, great day of entertainment to come and watch and just see people being awesome. Uh, so $10 if you want to just attend. But then again, yes, we encourage everybody to do it, and we also have teams. If you get signed up as a team of four, you're going to save an extra extra five dollars per person so this is a great team builder like you said you know if you've got some office workers that you want to run with or you've got a close group of friends come out and spend that saturday morning on father's day weekend june 15th it's all going to be over by about 11 11 30 right in there so you can still get on with the rest of your day if you've got plans to go to the lake or to the river or whatever and that that would be a great way to celebrate so we encourage everybody to come out on June 15th and just have a ball. Also, importantly, we want to mention there's a price increase. So I want you guys to sign up now to save your cash. The day of the race is going to be twice as much as what it is now. It's 45 for a team member, and it's $50 if you rush as an individual. So go to MedievalRush.com. Go to the website. You can go to our social media pages as well, Facebook page, our Instagram page. There's links on there. That take you right to the Eventbrite page to get signed up. But um, get signed up now, save that cash, make the commitment as well. You got a couple of months. You don't really need to get in shape, but if you want to, it would be something that you could uh, maybe start a goal to get healthy for. We're talking with Tanner Schweitzer, Medieval Rush, and Tanner, uh, walk us through the course a little bit. Uh, you know, you mentioned all the different obstacles, but uh, as far as the course itself around the Community Bowl, explain that a little bit to, to the listeners this morning. Absolutely. So, like we said, we're in the Community Bowl. It's a great venue. We start and finish in the bowl. That southwest corner, the first three years, we uh, we started off running on the track, kind of heading, uh, heading east. And then last year, we switched it up. If you're familiar with the bowl, that southwest corner where the garage and the locker rooms are, they have a little bit of a grass hill. So it made for a great photo op. Last year, we had everybody rush up that hill. It's a short hill. It's probably about 30 yards. And then it branches off and goes flat into the course. So you run up the hill, and then we take you right behind the community bowl into those bluffs area that overlooks the Missouri River, the train bridge. So it's a, you get a beautiful, beautiful scenery. You'll run up there, and then you have mud pits up on top of the hill. And then you come down. Come down, there's, a, there's an established trail that we use, we come down, we take our time, everybody goes down, again, there's volunteers. And then in that area leading down towards the river, there's a few more mud pits. So you're going to get muddy right off the bat, or not. <laughs> you don't have to go through them. You don't have to. A lot of people go around. They just do. They're just like, ah, no thanks. 
Uh, when you go to the website and look at the pictures, though, it's, uh, the cool pictures are the ones that people are just covered in mud. Uh, those are the oh, cool ones. And when you're there, you're in the moment. You're in the moment, and you're just like, what the heck? Let's do it. You know, I mean, everybody everybody who does it, does it for the first time comes up to me and just goes, gosh, that was so amazing. And they're like, I was nervous, and that was a blast. It, it, you know, it's like... How many, yeah, come up, how many people come up and go, can I run the course again? Yeah. Oh, we do. We do. Every year. Somebody does. There's always, there's always a couple psychos, which is good. So, so that's awesome. Tanner, uh, of course, the website, there's some dates you need to check out uh, to make sure that you stay ahead of getting the lowest price possible. Get your team together. Uh, individuals, uh, groups, of course, there's a uh, better discount with the groups. Once again, Tanner, what's the uh, website? MedievalRush.com. Um, you can check it out. Again, go to the social media pages as well. Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok. Check out those as well. You'll see pictures and videos from years past and see how much fun it is. And then, uh, yes, team of four is $45 per person right now. And individual is 50 So get signed up now. Get signed up, Tanner Schweitzer, Medieval Rush, MedievalRush.com. Uh, this is Talk of the Town on Super Talk 1270. Super Talk Talk of the Town on Super Talk 1270. Super Talk 1270, you're tuned to Talk of the Town. I'm Steve Bakken, and joining me in the studio, uh, Bismarck City Commissioner Mike Conley and uh, Carl Young, interested citizen, uh, coming up on June. Potentially, you could see uh, uh, an issue, an initiative on the ballot in both Bismarck and Mandan concerning a half-cent sales tax, um, but for some specific things, public safety, public transportation. We're going to talk about that a little bit and why it's necessary, why uh, that dedicated half-cent would offset some costs to the citizens. Um, uh, Mike, thanks for coming in. I appreciate your time. And what this is, is there every single year, public transportation in our community ends up in front of our different uh, commissions within what's called the Metropolitan Planning Organization. It runs under MPO. Yep. Yep. Definitely. And Which is Bismarck, Mandan, Burley, Morton counties. And Lincoln. And Lincoln. Yep. And with that, um, the requests, there, every, um, one of those subdivisions has their departments. And then outside of that department, it's usually the organization transit that's asking for a piece of the um, general fund or reserve dollars available so that they can fund the apps, uh, the uh, uh, needs for public transportation services. And the biggest reason for that, which is the most important piece of either their conversation or what this initiative is about is keeping grandma and grandpas independent in their homes versus having to look at a long-term care option or face isolation because they don't have a way to get out and about. So we're going to get into that a little bit because that's part of your private sector hat that you wear. You see a lot of this at first hand uh, as a CNA. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the public transit side of things. What are, you mentioned the needs of public transit. So for those citizens that may not have a uh, some skin in the game, what are the needs of public transit? Because we hear public transit, but uh, people also see buses running around that are empty. So what are the needs of public transit? Okay. 
Um, it was established in April of 1987. It was a state designation in all the larger cities and things. It's It's been an over-promised, um, uh, underfunded entity from the get-go, and it really it results in a lot of hard growth over time. Some of it earned, some of it unearned. But and the key point to that is this was a state initiative. This comes yeah. from the state. So it's not like the, the city of Bismarck and Mandan could go, yeah, we just don't want the bus anymore. Exactly, exactly. And there are more people riding it than um, what a few years ago what people see. But the numbers are definitely not what a person after 36 years would think they should be. If we're comparing to other cities, like even on our fixed route buses, we're less, we're growing, but we're less, but we're significantly less than some of the sister cities in our area. Um, and then we also have paratransit, which um, focuses on the needs of, say, you're more disabled that are in wheelchairs or those uh, um, folks that struggle with challenges that none of us want to overcome. And the paratransit side is the part that I always looked at is that's a responsibility for the community um, because – Back when I was mayor, transit would come, and I'm like, I got a hard time forking over dollars for a for-profit business, but we do have a responsibility with paratransit. Paratransit, to me, was that is what we need to take ownership. Um, but yet, you see when transit and the, the transit authority winds up coming to the city or MPO and discussing finances and how they're struggling, the first place they always go to is, well, we're going to cut some hours on paratransit. Paratransit's so expensive. Um, talk about that a little bit because okay. there's a little bit of a juggling act. Yep, there is. But uh, let me do clarify. Um, transit is listed as a nonprofit organization. Any um, understanding that if it's for-profit or anything, that gets into details that well, um, it, it gets beyond me and it takes away from the discussion. There, there, there's some nuance with that and I guess language matters, but yeah. it, it, let's just say it's a big company. Yeah, yeah. So um, – <clears throat> I forgot the question and trying to clarify <laughs> that. I apologize. <laughs> Talk a little bit about how – because in I had a problem with the transit board and the transit board where they always come to the city and want to make cuts is, is on the paratransit side because that's and, – and granted, paratransit is a little bit of a different animal and it's expensive to operate if you're going to have that quality of life component to the users of paratransit, it's cost prohibitive. There there are some extra costs that come along with that. But that's always the first place that they look to cut. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, that was the last place you should have looked to cut. Yeah. Well, there's some dynamics in there. That a lot deserve, of dynamics. Right. Deserve a little further look at and things. Well, and that's why we're here today. Yep. Our paratransit is actually almost double what our sister cities are as far as ridership and things, which mm-hmm. is amazing because we provide a heck of a thing. But because of the costs that go along with it, everybody can see the need, but the, uh, they add up. And then when it comes to more of the fixed route area, our ridership is a little bit uh, – is. Uh, um, statistically significant less than our sister cities. So why are we so different on two different marks uh, by a great deal? Um, those do deserve their time to have that discussion. Where this is, is right now, 
um, based on the city commissions from the MPO providing less than $300,000 for a shortfall that's in that $1.5 million range. We are facing a time when we just licensed two taxi services this week, only 13 vehicles. We're on the cusps of losing all public transportation in a community that's 100 plus thousand people if you add them all in. And what does that mean for our grandmas and grandpas and people that need the services? Is we need to find that answer and secure that space and see if we can't create a better conversation amongst all of those other things. It's a big gap. And 2026 is one budget cycle away. I don't see the government entities involved being able to narrow that gap to where we can protect the ride for the actual user group that we want to keep in their homes. Because if they go to nursing homes, we're talking Medicare, Medicaid in a very short period of time because they burn through retirements like gangbusters. Well, and part of the focus from the health care and the, the senior health care is – as people are living longer, how do you keep them in their home longer? Yep. And and that's a quality of life issue. There's a care issue, but uh, that's a cost savings as well, not only for that user, but for a community when you can keep people in their homes and give them the ability to, to be independent longer. So uh, we're talking with Mike Conley and uh, Carl Young joining us. Uh, uh, we're going to talk about what you're involved with as a potential solution when we come back from the break. This is Talk of the Town on Super Talk 1270. Talk of the Town, weekday mornings starting at 9 on Super Talk 1270 and the free Super Talk 1270 mobile app. AM Mandan Bismarck, a Town Square media station, broadcasting from the View Community Credit Union Studio. News for Bismarck Mandan. Super Talk 1270. Portions of the following program are pre-recorded. Welcome back to Talk of the Town on Super Talk 1270. Super Talk 1270, you're tuned to Talk of the Town. I'm Steve Bach along with Mike Conley, uh, Bismarck uh, City Commissioner, and Carl Young, uh, advocate for the disabled and uh, former lobbyist. Carl, I want to come back to you a little bit because uh, uh, we didn't get a chance to visit about um, some of the issues that... Uh, those with disabilities are dealing with when it comes to transit as far as the bookings, the trying to get rides, going to doctor's appointments. Um, you know, I always looked at it. It's okay. What's the quality of life when you see transit wanting to cut hours around holidays and they hit paratransit first? That's a quality of life issue. Very much so, sir. Um, you know, if you have to book out a ride two weeks in advance, you may not know you have a doctor's appointment or or a medical appointment of any kind and be stuck for without a ride because you didn't know and you can't book a ride in short notice. Uh, and that's a, a significant barrier for a lot of the population. That so what's is. the current lead time? You mentioned two weeks. Uh, is roughly, that a hard number? Uh, it's general consensus from everybody I've talked to is it's two weeks out. If you don't book two weeks out, 
you're not going to get around. So what's the biggest issue with uh, transit fulfilling that needs of the paratransit? Is it workforce? Is it equipment? Where's the disconnect? Well, if it's a funding issue, that's one thing. If it's a systems management issue, that's another. Um, I don't know enough about how they run the transit system to be able to say either way which, which it is. Uh, but it's fundamentally flawed if it takes a two-week outreach in order to get an appointment for a ride. Yeah, that, that's just not workable for people's no. lives, Not and, especially if you're trying to talk about quality of life. Right. And if you miss the ride, you're not immediately out there when the ride is scheduled to be there, you're out of luck. Well, and I've actually talked to users of paratransit that if something were to happen or they're running a little late or if they're at their job and they have to work over a little bit, they get dinged. Yes, they do. And then you can't schedule a ride again. Right. Exactly. Right. And you How know, the hell does that work? If you're uh, visiting your medical team at the hospital or the clinic and your doctor's running late and you miss your ride, you're dinged because you're of dinged. something you had no control over. Yeah. Yeah. So I I want to come back, Mike, a little bit to the, the nursing home side and, and that trying to keep people because – Financially, there's a lot of different places this goes, but financially, there is a lot of cost benefit, especially as we as a society are living longer, uh, to try to keep people in their homes longer, that independence. Transportation is one of the biggest pieces when it comes to talking about independence. Absolutely. And um, within that and keeping people in their homes we also live in a very dynamic state with all of our seasons involved. Um, we just got through a weekend where we had close to 70 below wind chill. If we don't have a warm place for transit or transportation, I misspoke there, transportation, that becomes a formidable thing to where people don't go anywhere. Well, and I, when we're and talking about the appointments that Carl just mentioned. And some of the paratransit folks I've talked to uh, in the past, it's, you know, through some of the changes with transit and how they addressed paratransit is you had to be out on the curb waiting for your ride. I'm like, in 70 below wind chills, that is a non-starter to me. Right. So we definitely have room to grow in um, overcoming some of those ADA challenges and things. Um, right now, the funding is the single most significant barrier to allowing us to have those conversations right now. Um, say in nursing homes, when you're talking about expenses leading into the $10,000 a month or more, mm-hmm. people burning through their retirement, going on Medicare, Medicaid, that's an expansion of government in a federal government that's fundamentally broke. We've crossed $34 trillion in debt, and we don't see that debt decreasing anytime soon. So how can we control that at a local level? The amount of money, any expenditure where you're increasing a tax, it hurts. At the same time, one half cent of a penny where three-tenths of it can go to public safety, to which impacts 100% of the population. And then two-tenths of a cent creating a space for a vulnerable population, the population that built this state, in a lot of ways, to one of the best in the country, if not the best, which I claim it to be, um, for the elderly population, 
We have disabled folks that have to overcome challenges that none of us would trade that spot for. And then we have a um, the low, low socioeconomic status. There will, in capitalism, there will always be that space. And we have to address that on a level if we want the rest of the community to function in the way that we're comfortable with as well. So, Carl... Um your take on on some of the because I know you've been a lobbyist and worked uh, in uh, the disability space. Where are we in the in the big picture of meeting the needs uh, with that segment of the population that has a disability and has some extra needs? Um, you know, not only in the transit space but maybe going beyond transit. Where are we as a community? Uh, there are significant needs that are being addressed and continue to be addressed. Um, but there are also needs that are being unmet, significant needs that are being unmet. What are uh, some of those spaces? Uh, you think substance use disorders, you know, severe mental illness or severe emotional disturbance. Those areas need help. Um, and, and some of those people depends on our transportation systems to get to their appointments and to get to their recovery services and uh, things of that nature. And if you look at some of the uh, the disability community, some of those people might be our military veterans from our last war and from Vietnam. And those people depend on transit for or transportation for a lot of things. And if transportation is not adequately funded, where do they go for a ride? We don't have Uber to speak of. We don't have Lyft to speak of. Uh, Commissioner Connolly just mentioned that we licensed two taxi services. Well, it takes time to get those things off the ground. It gets time, takes time for people to know that they exist. And right now, transportation as we know it is the transit authority. And that's a known commodity that we can support. So Mike, going back to the transit authority, transit authority side, um, and like I said, when I was mayor, I had some issues with the board. Um, have you had conversations with the Transit Authority Board? Have you had conversations with Transit Authority? And and what is their perspective on meeting the needs within the community? Uh, I'm, that's actually one of my portfolios. And I actually, before I even know about the appointment or things, I started attending the transit meetings um, for quite some time. And I make it a point to try to be involved as much as I can be um, outside of my normal occupation. And in since the new department head of transit came on board, um, she came in at a very difficult time. She came in April of 2020, and the world fundamentally changed in a short order, and we are all chasing a lot. One thing she's done is is that she's had clean accounting reports, um, and there's this establishment of trust that comes along with that because you're making up for some history there that was hard. Um, they've, uh, they go to National Express was, is the driver. That's helped with some of the driver, um, retention issues and things. Employment's hard for everybody. Even if you bring in one that improves it, it's just a thing that you're trying to overcome right now. Well, you work in the medical field. You know exactly about uh, the shortages in, you know, your examples, healthcare, but, um, there's job shortages and, and filling those vacancies everywhere. Right. Or you train somebody and they turn around, and go to work for somebody else and you end up bearing the response, uh, the uh, expense of that. And you're promising to fill the need for your, the actual user group so you go through all this work and then all of a sudden you don't have it it's it's a it's a hard thing 
Um, so they've done some really cool things that they added an app. It's called Passio. And you can actually see it on your phone where all of the, say, fixed route buses are and things. They've added some nice things to create some dynamics through software to improve on the timing legs and that. But they're so fresh into being added into the conversation, it's hard to know where those grow to. They do deserve a little time. But there's an education curve that needs to take place with with some of that. That does not mean that... You just say, okay, they have this, and you don't hold on to what the maybe the angst that you had before. Allow them to learn. They're doing some good things, but we also have a lot of room to grow. We're talking with Carl Young and Mike Conley, uh, City of Bismarck, of course, uh, City Commissioner Mike Conley, and uh, concerning transit and paratransit and the transportation needs within the community for uh, Bismarck, Mandan, Burley, Morton, City of Lincoln, all part of our metro area. Uh, so falls under the Metropolitan Planning Organization, the MPO, uh, to deal with some of these transportation issues as one larger community. Uh, that's where we can accomplish some things. Uh, Mike, you've got a, a, a uh, some proposed initiated measure we're going to get into next, which could be a possible solution to some of the transportation needs uh, that could be on the uh, ballot coming up in June. This is Talk of the Town on Super Talk 1270. Super Talk. Talk of the Town on Super Talk 1270. Super Talk 1270. This is Talk of the Town. I'm Steve Bakken, uh, joined by Mike Conley, Bismarck City Commissioner, and Carl Young, advocate for the disabled. Uh, we're talking about transit and uh, paratransit more specifically, at least to me, uh, my bigger concern. But uh, transit plays a big role in any growing community and larger community. And uh, the makeup of our transit authority and our transit here in our community, um, there's components of Burley County, uh, Morton County, Bismarck, Mandan, and Lincoln, uh, all which make up the Metropolitan Planning Organization, the MPO, which deals with transportation needs and transportation issues within a community. And uh, we're looking at uh, what some of the the issues are with transit. Uh, Mike, you're part of what could be a potential solution for what you deem as the funding side of the issues with transit. Explain that to the listeners. Well, in all actuality, that kind of took care of itself. They had their own study, and they requested through their normal protocols, they requested money from each organization within the MPO to help meet the needs that it requires to fund their system and make it uh, function as it's designed to be. The shortfall is is that it's not meeting the needs of our community because it wasn't given the funding that it needed to function as they know. Um, that's it's kind necessary. of one of those throw a little money at it just to placate, but it's not going to make a difference. Right. It, is that it? It it didn't make up, and we do, since we didn't have other up until this week, we did not have a taxi service. Um, the since taxi nine thousand that was licensed, and we don't have other resources out there. It leaves the very citizens we say that we're going to serve with a big question. So, just am I a, going to have a ride tomorrow? Right. It, just on a side note, because you mentioned the the two taxi services that have been licensed this week, um, are either one of them equipped to deal with paratransit rides or 
you know, th- that that's a special space. Mm-hmm. That's an excellent question. Um, what we did is we changed the ordinance in Bismarck recently um, because we didn't want to get in the way of try- somebody trying to be a startup after we've been vacant from that type of service for so long. Yeah, cause, well, and part of the reason they, I talked with the ownership, uh, part of the reason that Taxi 9000 went out of the out, out of space was uh, Lyft and Uber. And then Lyft the Uber couldn't find people who wanted to work in Bismarck at the hours that it was needed. So uh, it, it left a vacuum in the community for either ride shares or getting transportation. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then um, with that, so if you're a interested party and want to become a taxi service, a licensed taxi service in the community, you can have one to six vehicles and not be required to have an accessible vehicle. If you get to the point to where you want beyond that, then you have to provide at least two accessible vehicles before you grow another ADA six. compliant. Right. And then after another six and then add another two. So it allows some flexibility to where we can grow into that space. Do, we, do either one of these two businesses have... One of the two. One of the two does. So they have two, but paratransit uh, um, in Bismarck Band and in the MPO, they supplied 90,000 rides last year. Mm-hmm. Sizable vehicle. number. Uh, much larger than most... Right. R- well, the rest of the cities in North Dakota. Well, uh, actually, regionally, like in a, in a five-state area, yeah. we were about 45,000 more than those other states. Two vehicles are not going to fill that space. It's not even close. So just to create the conversation so we can match the very basic need out there, we do have to flip the conversation on its head. Okay, so let's flip that right now and uh, transition into what you're proposing with this initiated measure. Okay. What they are is that... um, there's, there's two initiated measures, actually. There's one for Bismarck. There's one for Mandan. But um, give us a little of the construct because they're very similar. Um, and then we'll diverge and go different directions with these. So um, overall, what are the commonalities between these two initiated measures? Okay. Um, since there is a vulnerable population that we're trying to address um, in discussions as the wording was developed, we wanted to be cognizant of and not put, since we, uh, we knew the efforts of citizen driven initiative, we, and a lot of the people that are going out there fighting for their right for a ride, we wanted to keep as much politics out of it because there's a lot of politics that hurt people every time. And that's part of the reason for the wording. But, um, the, and all citizens, Deserve if they're giving up some dollars, they deserve some benefit from the dollars that they're contributing. Um, because what is it, that benefit? Um, public safety. We have a state initiative on the books right now that puts um, property tax, which is a, a lot of our um, the way we do government business, on the hook. And if that fundamentally changes. Um, what does that look like for a lot of the services we provide? And at the end of the day, grandmas and grandpas, how, uh, where does that grow to? So public safety would be one of those basically, you always have that Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Public safety, if that was put in question, would be the first in almost everybody's mind that I talk to. 
um, and well, water. Th- throw your city commissioner hat on for a second, because this is—I I said this all the time—the only got job for um, municipal government. It's public safety concerns, and for yep. me, it was fire, police, water, roads, and sewer. Yep. Um, public safety needs, um, and then make sure you're facilitating good business and economic growth. Um, transit, I throw that a little bit more under the economic growth along with public needs. There, there's, It's a little different nuance to it. Absolutely. So there's always been a lot of question, especially in the um, – we're very supportive of police and fire and our first responders here. But that's not always the case in a lot of areas around the country, and we are influenced by some of that. Buildings don't hurt people. Cars don't hurt people in those senses. And to protect that vulnerable population, um, that's one of the reasons why three-tenths of a cent would be uh, go towards um, the funding of those vehicles or buildings. And then for all of the property tax people, the people that pay, most property tax owners are law-abiding citizens, and, but they pay a fee at the Morton County Detention Center for people making wrong choices in our community. The number one case when our police officers come to us, we got a lot of people from Michigan where a meth pill costs five bucks there, costs 90 bucks here. It's driving the addiction rates through the roof because they see a very admittable market to their wrong choices. They don't buy property. But they buy burner phones like gangbusters. And in that sense, they contribute by that sales tax. They make the wrong choice tomorrow. They can contribute to their own confinement on some levels as they hopefully grow into making better choices. And then um, it's up to a city commission if they want to make a choice and back out of that property tax designation so we can shift that responsibility on the people actually causing the problem. So and the that's written in there. So the proposed half-set sales tax uh, goes to public safety. Mm-hmm. and public transportation. Yep. Um, can you do a little bit better job breaking down, uh, defining public safety? Uh, because I know people are going to look at this and go, well, that's an awfully broad term. Mm-hmm. Um, and I tend to agree when you have broad stroke terms like that, uh, people are less inclined to support something. They, they want to know where the money's going specifically. Mm-hmm. What's the intent of this? And that, well... Buildings, three-tenths of a cent generates a good chunk, but buildings are expensive these days. Bismarck's outgrown their police facility um, back when you were on the commission. Um, That's a significant amount. Um, It's the same space that they've had for years, but our population's nearly double. And it's going to be a a large expense in the not distant future for the city of Bismarck. Right. And whenever you bond, there's a finance charge with it and things. So in a sense, it's a little bit of a building fund to where you can get to the point where maybe you don't look at a bond. You're paying with it up front. That's a better value to the citizen than adding a finance charge on top of it. Um, Tell you what, we're, we're up against a break right now. When we come back, I want to finish up on this, and then I want to get into the trans, uh, public transportation side of that and how that would apply to meet some of the needs of public transportation. This is Talk of the Town on Super Talk 1270. 
to Talk of the Town on Super Talk 1270. Super Talk 1270, I'm Steve Bakken, along with Mike Conley, Bismarck City Commissioner, and Carl Young, advocate for the disabled. And we're talking about a proposed half-cent sales tax for both Bismarck and for Mandan, uh, separate initiatives, uh, one for each community. And we're going through the language of that right now. We're talking about the the public safety side of stuff. And you mentioned uh, a potential new police building in Bismarck and um, some other things that you were about, I believe, to go into some of the fire needs, too, because that's part of the public safety side of this. Yep. Up on in the uh, Silver Ranch area of town, there's already a designated space because Bismarck is growing. We're adding a little more than a thousand people a year. And there's definitely a need for places to live. But we're extending so far that those extra fire needs are there. So possible fire station. I know Mandan has um, also considered uh, or they have uh, thoughts of a fire station and trying to figure out resources to fund that as well. So those needs in growing communities, Mandan says some nice things, but their culture is a little different and their environment's different. Um, this puts one more element into that conversation because some of the biggest tragedies on the other side of the river happened to people in apartment complexes that one utilize public transportation but access to some of those fire um, um, provisions maybe hindsight being 2020 could have been um, handled a little bit differently or happened a little bit differently if they had some of the things in place. Uh, so we covered some of the bases on public safety. I want to switch over to public transportation right now. So uh, the monies that would come out of this half-cent sales tax, how do you address the, the needs of public transportation? What does that look like from a an application perspective? Um, basically what it is is the two-tenths of a cent would create a, a bucket specified specifically for public transportation. Um, and the biggest crux of that is is that they're fighting for the same thing that everybody else is fighting for, general fund or reserve dollars. And um, if that property tax measure goes through and that and the conversation came out, you got a choice between a snowplow or a ride for grandma and grandpa, who's going to win the conversation every time? Snowplow obvious and that so for some on some level going through this knowing all of the dynamics involved creating that public transportation piece that's not beholden to the property tax discussion protects the very people that we want to keep independent out of those bigger issues like nursing homes but the snowplow is always going to be part of that conversation so as we grow into that next answer they're still going to be addressed. So that's one element of it. The other element is is that we know the financial need at that $1.3 to $1.5 million is there just for the transit discussion. But since that need's there and we want to grow dynamically, um, a lot of times that happens. What other resources or answers we may not even know yet can be available? And the only way to invite those conversations is in is here's an RFP. Transit can submit an RFP and request those dollars. But so can the competition that may check all the safety boxes, be able to provide the service, and um, 
maybe they stretch the dollar in a different way we didn't think of. So you're creating competition within the system, and we all know that competition is usually good for the consumers. Right, right. We're not saying that um, we want transit to go away. We want it to, if it grows in a way that benefits the entire community and we can grow the service from just a service to an asset, I think Bismarck and Mandan are amazing places that deserve that discussion. Transit board. So where is their buy-in for this? Because um, are they going to be held, if there's an RFP out there, that it does have to be a broad stroke RFP or are they just going to be facilitators of, hey, we're going to go get these extra dollars and apply it to the services or this provider that we already have in place? That's also a great question. We have to honor the taxpayer dollar is is that um, they don't have rights to it. It goes through the respective commissions still is is that commissions can choose not to spend the money at all or they can choose to say RFP was submitted and we want to do this. We don't know what our community and what the culture of the community is going to turn into in 10 years. So there's flexibility built into it. If they don't spend the dollar, it's there. But the checks and balances is also um, falls back on the leadership of the communities. If you sit there and don't spend a thing, then and that bucket's there, then you also have to answer to your constituency. Um, and right now, what a lot of people don't know, for Bismarck, we um, fund um, through the available resources of transit – we're funding about 120,000 rides, a little bit more, for about 1.2 million. Mandan's funding about half, 60, for about 200,000, a little more than 200,000. The disparity, anybody can do the math. That's one of the reasons to have both initiatives on there is because the very, does Bismarck say, you know, we're not going to support that, uh, glaring difference and mandan can make decisions for them and we can make for decisions for us we're talking to mike conley bismarck city commissioner and carl young advocate for uh, the disabled uh, when we come back uh, more uh, this is talk of the town on super talk 1270 talk 1270 welcome back to talk of the town on super talk 1270 steve Bogdan, along with mike conley bismarck city commissioner and carl young advocate for the disabled we're talking about a proposed half-cent sales tax, uh, one in Mandan, one in Bismarck, uh, to help offset the cost and meet the needs for public safety and public transportation. We're dialing in on the public transportation side of this a little bit more because of the glaring gap with public transportation uh, and the cost to both the communities. Um, Lincoln is in there as well as Morton and Burley County, but um, these initiative measures are for the city of Mandan, the city of Bismarck. We talked about some of the, the similarities because two initiative measures, one for each community, very similar, but there are a few differences between them. Uh, highlight some of those because the, the, the language on the Bismarck uh, potential initiated measure and the language on the Mandan one, there is a little difference. There is. Um, a lot of the... Focusing on different needs within those two communities. Right, right. Um, a lot of the wording is different because um, 
how home rule charter is defined in Bismarck um, and how we have it listed is significantly different than Mandan. Mandan incorporates those elements into what they call their municipal code of ordinances. And um, so the legally side, you'll you'll see that pretty evident. But the single most significant difference in the wording, everything's the same, but the one element that's different is City Hall in Mandan has a wheelchair lift and some other elements within the building that were grandfathered in over time. But not really ADA compliant. No, they're not ADA compliant. And depending on the wheelchair that's accessing their wheelchair lift, sometimes it takes up to three people to manage. Um, out of um, stakeholders that actually use those services, they asked if there was room to add that language in there, and we did that on their behalf um, to help make City Hall accessible in Mandate. And that's how people work together for that better answer is if you find out that there's an issue and you can add it in there, that's how we grow. And we want to help Mandan citizens that say that's a need for us. We want to help them grow. And for those that may not know, not an issue in Bismarck because Bismarck has an elevator, even though the Tom Baker room meeting room is in the basement. There is an elevator that is ADA compliant and fully accessible uh, in uh, the city county office building. So um, what next? Uh, you're in the process of collecting signatures. Yep. This is a citizen-driven effort. It's not an organization. It's not a government entity that's pushing for a passage. These folks... Not you as a commissioner with your commissioner hat on. This is You work in this medical space as well with a lot of people with disabilities. So uh, you're, you're more working as an advocate at this point. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the reason why is there's so many organizations. They have boards. They have agendas. There's a lot of people talking. This service has been around for 36 years, but it's obviously not... It's in languished. A pos- it's yep. languished. Yep. It's obviously not in a position to end on the verge of not being able to provide what it needs to, to be an asset in our community. So um, we need to provide that space for the very user group that actually makes us a little bit more responsible to the fiscal dollar, um, but provide the service because we change as a community in a bad way if we don't have it. So we needed in Bismarck, um, it's 15% of the last mayor, uh, mayor vote count in the last election. And so f- that 15% in Bismarck is 1,466 signatures. You always try to go over and that merely gets it on the ballot and it allows every voter the choice. Am I for it? Yes. Am I against it? No. Um, we're asking right at this point. Help us get the ballot. Uh, help us get the signatures so we can get those on the ballot and allow that better conversation going forward. If it doesn't go through, we're back to the same old thirty-six-year-old conversation. If it does go through, now we it becomes interesting how we grow into that space. In Mandan, the same rules apply. It's fifteen percent of the last mayor vote, and that's actually only five hundred and seventy-four signatures. And our deadline date is February 23rd. A lot of the people getting petitions are in wheelchairs. A lot of the people are immune and compromised. Um, right now, cities and things, their ordinances to have them sitting outside. You've seen the state petitions on the outside of DOT. This is not a good space for those folks. And the time of year that it is, 
we would greatly appreciate any private business that's not beholden by the constitutional stuff like um, government is to provide those spaces um, for those people with those ADA needs so we can get the signatures and allow the voters a constitutional choice. We have We the People in the National Constitution and our home rule charters, like in Bismarck, on page 7, it says the power of the people. These are individual people fighting for their right for a ride because they have the power based on all of the awesome dynamics that America provides us. Basically, it comes down to quality of life. Absolutely. And, and that's what I was an advocate of for as mayor, that you know we have a responsibility as a community when it comes to meeting the needs of those with disabilities to make sure their transportation needs were met. Um, you and I can get in a philosophical discussion about transit at a later date, but uh, the paratransit side, that for me was what the importance was. Uh, Mike, uh, as far as uh, getting hold of you or uh, anybody else with a petition or behind this, um, if they do have a space or or would open up a door for uh, somebody to collect signatures, how do they get a hold of you? Um, for me, they can contact me um, because I have so much going on. I would say call me or text me at 701-400-1839 or they can contact through email and um, Carl's managing that. Uh, half set Bismarck, all one word, no spaces, at gmail.com. Is that the number half or the yeah, word half? The word half. Word half, half cent Bismarck yep. at gmail.com. Gentlemen, thanks for coming in today. It's been a privilege. Uh, potential half-cent sales tax initiated measure on the ballot in June for uh, both Bismarck and for Mandan uh, to meet some of the uh, offset, some of the costs of public transit and public safety. So uh, once again, half-cent Bismarck at gmail.com. Uh, this is Talk of the Town on Super Talk 1270. Cha-ching. I'm Daria Albinger with today's tax tip. It was a long shot, but that big bet paid off. And now the tax man is betting on you reporting your winnings. You may get lucky at the casino or at the horse track, but proceeds from winning are all taxable income and they're treated like a paycheck or an investment gain. Caleb Silver, editor-in-chief at Investopedia. You will get a W-2G form if your winnings exceed a certain threshold. Those thresholds, $1,200 or more on bingo or slots, five grand or more on poker, and just 600 bucks or more on those sports betting apps provided you collected more than 300 times your wager you got lucky just once don't worry silver says if you lost more than you won you may be off the hook you can write off some of your gambling losses if you itemize your losses but the deduction can't exceed the amount of your winnings and what about that office super bowl pool that you won just be quiet about your winnings those are typically not reported to the irs with today's tax tip i'm daria albinger abc news talk of the town local interesting a lot of things going on with flood insurance in the bismarck mandan area and some things you need to know concerning the missouri river and some changes that have taken place, and, well, are you even going to be able to get flood insurance? Community events. Home Builders Association Parade of Homes going on started yesterday. We'll get the update on that as well this weekend on Super Talk 1270. Community organizations. I'm Steve Bakken, along with Sarah Kelsch from the Bismarck Cancer Center. But I want to talk about the mission and where the mission has gone for those that are served that are dealing with the cancer fight. What's going on in our community? That's Talk of the Town on Super Talk 1270. If you missed the show, check out the podcast on demand on the 
Super Talk 1270 mobile app. Talk of the Town thanks our sponsors. Big Boy, Dakota Pharmacy, Benchmark Mortgage, Trademark Realty, Silver Ranch, Peak Automotive and Service, and Runnings. Talk of the Town with Steve Bakken. Monday through Friday, 9 to 11 on Super Talk 1270 and the free Super Talk 1270 mobile app. Talk of the Town, weekday mornings starting at 9 on Super Talk 1270 and the free Super Talk 1270 mobile app. Mandan Bismarck, a Town Square media station, broadcasting from the View Community Credit Union Studio. 